All right, guys, so uh, as, as kids are dismissed, I just wanted you guys to know that we are uh, going, we are in the midst of the book of Proverbs uh, in our local body. Uh, what we do is we, we go through books of the Bible. Um, our heart behind that is to make sure that we're getting the whole counsel of Scripture. Uh, left into my own flesh, <clears throat> I'm going to stick with those areas that are really cool, the, the areas that really um, accent me and my skill set. And so we love going through the whole counsel of Scripture because you get into areas where you go, oh my goodness, I got to teach on that. But it's part of God's Word. We want our body to be equipped holistically uh, in the good news and understanding and the counsel of the, the Trinity. So that's our heart behind that. We've gone through a ton of books so far. Right now we're in Proverbs. So you've, you've jumped on a moving train, but I must encourage you that this is a good moving train to be on um, uh, because Proverbs is a different kind of book. It's not a historical narrative. Um, it is um, a wisdom literature, a wisdom poetic book as far as genre, um, written mostly by, by uh, King Solomon, who asked, he asked the Lord for wisdom, and obviously the Lord gave it to him, um, proposed he's the uh, wisest man in all created history. And so uh, he writes most of Proverbs, but then also you got like a couple other cats, Amur and uh, Lemuel, Agur and Lemuel, who writes a couple of Proverbs as well. And in the book, in a nutshell, I was written like, like 970, yeah, like BC, and then like 9 to 930. That's like sort of the, uh, the argument in uh, theological circles between 970 and 930. And uh, the book is really about what it says, Proverbs, wise and pithy sayings, okay, um, which means like some things like truisms. You know, truisms are, truisms are words or, or wise sayings, things that are smart that usually happen to you, but they're not promises, we always like to make that clear in this local body. So as you're being trained and you understand that you can't claim Proverbs as promises because that's not the point of Proverbs. Proverbs is saying usually if you do this, this is what happens, okay? So it's a truism, not a promise. Um, but also uh, Proverbs is a good book to come in on a moving train because uh, the historical book, you know, you can go through and you sort of got to, it sort of builds on itself kind of, whereas the way you interpret uh, a wise literature book with, with, I would say, with theological responsibility is by looking at topics, right? So it's more topical uh, because you have it all over the place. And the reason why it's more topical is because they, he wants you to know it. He wants you to memorize it. So what they do in Proverbs is they give you a lot of a short, pithy, um, even, even rhythmic sayings, right? So they're easy to digest so you can have those wise words uh, in your heart. Because the point of Proverbs is for you and me uh, to be wise people in Christ, all right? So that's what we're doing today, and specifically today, um, we're in an area that's going to get us in a lot of trouble, usually, okay? So we're going to talk through that in a moment. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump right in, okay? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the honor of being able to be with uh, your people, for, the, for your gracious hand of making me one of your people. Lord, we come to you and we humbly say, uh, would you just uh, use our words, mine, the audience, our family here. Uh, would you use my words, Lord, by your grace. We, we, we pray we would lead toward worship through uh, your teachings, through your training, and that we would just have a lot of fun resting in our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need Bibles, you can uh, raise your hand and Leon will pass out some Bibles to you. Um, Today, uh, we're going to talk about uh, one of the most prominent themes in all the Proverbs. I would say maybe the prominent theme, and that is our tongue, the mouth. All right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, yeah, this is an area. It's so humbling, right? Because, man, I mean, I was humbled. Uh, I, I studied probably over 90 passages uh, in Proverbs alone uh, to prepare uh, to train you guys this week. That's how many Proverbs... Um, there's more, actually. There's about 100 or so. 
Um, now, don't get nervous. We're not going to look at all 100, all right? Um, but we will look at a lot of text uh, because my, my prayer is that it's so clear to us that I, I want us to be trained and help, and help us get used to, like, letting the word itself, like the truth of God's word, convict and, and just bless us and feed us, okay? So, and then when there's opportunities and need for interpretation to um, help us understand something that's unclear, I want to add value there. Uh, but for the most part, I want us to look at what the scriptures tell us about, um, about our tongues, all right? So that's what we'll be looking at, one of the most prominent themes in scripture. Um, we really encourage you, when you leave, you can go out to your left. Uh, hopefully, there's, a, there's some Proverbs packets that we made. Our team worked hard to get these packets to you guys. I want to encourage you to grab them. Uh, they have some awesome cheat sheets where it has all the scriptures and topics. Uh, and I just think it's, it's been awesome. It's been huge for me, even as I prepare for you guys. So I want to encourage you to grab those as well. Okay, guys? So we're going to jump in, um, looking into Proverbs. And what I want to do is I want to first, I want to give you sort of like the... the, the the landscape of what we're going to do. We're going to first look at why, why words matter, all right? Then we're going to look at uh, diving into what God says, just his general counsel on, on words in our mouth and our tongue and what that means. And we're going to look at it from different angles, okay? Um, then I think what hope, hopefully what happens is it brings us to a conclusion where it begs us to add, ask ourselves, so what is um, a transition from normal worldly usage of our mouth and tongue to a gospel-centered usage of our mouth and tongue, all right? That's, that's, that's the heart, right? We want to we wanna end here uh, feeling like we're saturated with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus. So um, I pray that this time would really be an encouragement uh, and will equip, equip you and equip me as sheep um, and that it will honor Christ our King, all right? Um, why do words matter so much? This is just sort of top shelf. It's us understanding theology, just thinking, thinking about everything from creation's perspective. Why do words matter so much? I would say first, there is something to communicate there's something about the communicable attributes of communication through language, right? So we know our Lord, what he does, when you think of God creating people, uh, he creates all things, but then he creates us. And what's cool about us as the apex of creation is that he gives us communicable attributes, which means that there's things that we can do that God does, right? And he does that because it allows us to show him, to, to, to glorify him. It, it reminds himself of him when he sees us being like him. Okay, and that's how he gets glory. That's how he gets attention and honor. All right, so we have those things. Now, he has some incommunicable attributes, right? We always talk about this. Uh, things like knowing everything, being everywhere. Like, none of us can do that, right? You wish you could. I know I want to be an X-Man all my life, but you can't. And that's all right, you know. But God has given us certain attributes that remind him of himself. Uh, this is one of them, the, um, the concept of words, right? So God creates... Um, he creates from his word. We even see that Jesus, the logos, I don't have time to get into the, all the, the, the philosophical ramifications, but the logos is a huge, intense study on understanding how important that is when you talk about the word, God creating with his word, and then him bringing new creation through his word, as it were, the word, Jesus, our king. Okay? That's his whole point when you get into the gospels. All right? In the same way, you see that there's pow- it's power uh, in, in words. Now, what gets us nervous, I think in our culture, uh, before we talk about what gets us nervous, we need to know that words have power to basically shape uh, life, people, and culture. And we see that. All right? Now, we can say that and not go crazy and get like name it and claim it people, prosperity theology, right? And so what's happening in the local bodies all around our world is that because we're so nervous and scared of, of being theologically irresponsible and giving more weight uh, to words than what we should, we don't talk about the power of words at all. 
And I want to propose that the biblical pros, uh, it seems like the, the biblical prowess is that we need to have a balance. And we need to understand that words are very powerful, all right? They're actually very powerful, but to go over here and act like we can be kind of demigods is not uh, what the Lord has called us to. But he does want you and me to understand that through our words, you can create or decreate because of the fall, Right? All right, so the other reason why words matter to us, so first they matter because we have this communicable attribute. We can, we, we can be like God and we can actually create with our words as it were, but also because of the fall, we can decreate. Also, um, and let me give you a, one verse to encourage you, and there's tons of verses, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have throughout this time a ton of scripture up, and I'm going to highlight the one I'm going to read, because if not, we'll be here till 3 o'clock. So I'm going to put like three or four scriptures up and just highlight one, and we're going to read that one. And the heart behind it is to whet your appetite for you to go back and look at the other scriptures um, and just know, or just know that, man, that there seems to be validity in what he's saying in that topic. Okay, guys? Uh, to encourage you in what I just said, um, Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, okay? And those who love it will eat its fruits. Um, the, the second reason uh, that, that words are so important is they are so much of our exchange in life, okay? They, they're, they're, they're just, I mean, we're just, words are all over. We're just always talking and communicating, and they're always shaping, right? Now, you think about that. Again, think about it. I, I, I get why the Father would have uh, so central to our makeup language because before the fall, all words did was remind God of himself, right? Because we didn't speak words of ill. We didn't have jealous speech. We didn't tell bad jokes, right? right? We, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't flatter with, with, with selfishness in mind and trying to plot our, our gain, right? You didn't do that before the fall. But every word, it accented God. It, it encouraged the person who was before you. It, you perfectly imaged God when you shared with people, right? It was totally pure, and so imagine, I, I get a, a holy, beautiful God saying, I want words to be, a, I want to have words everywhere because they're going to always be reminding me of myself. I'm going to look here and see this person encouraging. I'm going to look here and see this person loving. I'm going to look here and see this person edifying. And it's all going to just remind the world that I'm good. So that was, was the intent, right? That's what the intent was. What his words was to honor and, and, to, and to bring glory. But then we fall. And because of sin, we now can, like, we're not just not saying anything good, right? We're saying some things good, but also we're saying some things very bad. So now we have the opportunity where we can create, right? But then we also have the opportunity where we are very destructive because of our own selfish intention, because of our depravity, because of not something happening out here to us, but something in us and it's changing our culture. Evil, right? So let's look at how um, we have the ability to use our tongue after the fall, okay? Let's start by looking at Good. We can use our tongue for good. All right, family, first, it can be a fountain of life and healing. Okay? Uh, there's a ton of uh, scriptures up there. You can just pop them up. You're going to be working, brother. <laughs> uh, 1021, it says, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die um, for lack of sense. And when you, in your own time, when you see that, it's, it's, uh, that one of the good uses um, of tongues is, is life and healing, I want you to see... Um, that there's this, there's this framework of fountain you'll see. You'll see words like spring. And the reason why you see these kind of words is because he's not just talking about a behavior modification. He's talking about something that flows out of something, right? That's the framework. That, that's, all, that's the picture of the scriptures when he talks about things that are, are holy and right, right? It's not, it's not like a potted plant, but it's something deeply rooted. 
And then out of that springs forth, right? And that's the sense here of the lips of righteous feed many. I love that, the sense of feeding and, and they're wise. And I would also encourage you in your own time, do a, an adjectival study. Like just, just take all the words that you see I'm teaching on right now and look at all the scriptures and write down all the adjectives you see about good uses of the tongue and all the adjectives about the bad uses. I think it'll blow your mind. I think it's a powerful study. But also, uh, the tongue is good in the sense that we can have wise counsel. We can be wise and we can, we can advise other, others wisely. Look at uh, verse, six, I mean, verse 23 of chapter 16. Um, as a man, I'm hopefully working hard to get all those scriptures down there. It says, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds perva- a persuasiveness to his lips, right? That's a picture of, of, a, of, of a good tongue. Uh, he, he all, it always speaks rightly. Right? It always looks at a matter and it talks about it in the most correct, right fashion. That's the picture of a, of a judicious tongue. A, ju- a, a judicious tongue isn't easily swayed. Right? It's always saying, I'm not on your side. I'm not on your side. I'm on the Lord's side. Uh, a, a good tongue also uh, rebukes and, and exhorts. Right? And, and here's the... This is where I gave you guys grace. There's a ton of verses on rebuking and exhortations in, in Proverbs um, that we've gone over over and over again. But I just wanted to give you a real chill one. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness, perverseness, perverseness of, in it breaks the spirit. So talking about the sense of you being harsh with your tongue or gentle with your tongue, or while you be harsh and gentle, the assumption in the author is when talking about correction, right? It's when moving someone toward image, toward God. Another good use of the tongue is encouragement, right? It says in verse 25 of chapter 12, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. See that? You have anxiety, you have all this stuff in you, and then one of us can come along because we bear God's image, and we can actually make that heart glad by, with a wise word, with a word that's not centered on us, but it's centered on their good, edification of the people of God. Another good use is uh, when you restrain, uh, when, you, when, you, when you're wise about your frequency, when you don't talk too much, right? Verse, verse 28 of chapter 17, look what it says, family. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. <laughs> when he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent, right? He's saying, I mean, he's saying this is so important for us to get, the frequency of your words. He says, even if you are usually stupid when you talk, you can look wise if you just shut up. That's what he's saying, right? I didn't make that. That's what he's saying is that, man, sometimes, and we, we've even been privy to, of this. We've seen this, or this has been us, right? Well, you just find yourself saying something, and then that was stupid, and you try and dig yourself out of it, and that was even more stupid, and it, right? Just being honest, maybe I'm the only Christian who struggles with the tongue. Ministry. Your, your tongue, God has given you your mouth, and one way it can be really good is ministry, kingdom advancement. Look what it says in the scriptures, verse 8 and 9 of chapter 31. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute, right? He says, give a mic to those who can't speak for themselves. Be, show my communicable attribute of justice. That's what we do at MacAff. That's why, that's, that's what we're neighboring, we're caring, because we're saying we want to speak for those. Open your mouth, judge righteous, right? Righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. He's being very clear. This is, a, this, is, this is one of the modus operandi of the way that we can use our tongue, right? So there's a ton of ways that God has said, hey, 
even after the fall, sadly, some of us, even before you become a believer, there's ways you can do these things. Now, I would propose, even if you do these, these ways and these things happen, I propose that God isn't pleased. I'll prove that in a moment. But there's also another way you can use your tongue as a created being for evil. All right, first let's look at flattery and, or, or having an angle. You know what flattery is? It's basically, you can go keep going, but it's speaking words from, from, for selfish gain, right? It's, it's when you have an angle. You flatter, you make nice, you, you, you say things that are good and happy. And, you know, you can be really kind and people, and the goal of that is for somebody to perceive you in a certain light. See, that, that kind of, those kind of encouraging comments, they aren't redemptive, they're selfish. Look what he says here in verse 5 of chapter 29. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Right? What's, that? What's the picture there? Right? you flattering people. All he's trying to get yours. All you're really doing, he just wants to see the evil. It's like he's putting a net there for him. I'm trying to capture you. You're not, you're not trying to edify him or her. You're putting a net over their feet. And all you're really trying to do is as they walk onto the net, you just grab them like they're an animal or something. Right? That's evil. We don't, we, don't give, we don't talk to people for that. We don't need to get gain of man. We have Jesus, right? So our words can flow out of, I don't need your approval. I don't need you to go, man, Eric's a really nice guy. He's really funny and witty. We don't need that. It shouldn't, have to, it shouldn't matter what you think of me. It shouldn't matter what we think of each other. It shouldn't matter what Jesus thinks. And by grace, because of his blood, he thinks we're awesome. Look what it says. Quarreling, another evil use. We struggle with any of these, right? Look what he says. Tons of verses in quarreling, okay? For the lack, he says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases, right? He's saying, yeah, you know, when people, when you stop arguing, he says, you know, quarreling ceases when you, when you stop it. When you, when you stop being the one who's adding to the drama, are any of us drama adders, <laughs> right? He says, you want to stop it? Stop being a benefactor of it. Stop, stop, stop adding value uh, to evil. Gossip. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. That's a deep concept, guys. They go down into the inner parts of the body, the whisperer. That's the word basically synonymous with gossip throughout Proverbs. He talks to whisperer, a person who always has a secret. You know, if you're saying things to people and you can't say them to everybody, you might be a gossip. How about seducing to evil, lying, plotting? Verse 18 of chapter 10 says, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips and whoever utters slander is a fool. It conceals hatred, right? So it's a sense of like, you, you really hate the person, but what comes out, you know, you, you can't really see it yet, right? It's, this, it's that sense of seducing. It's that sense of lying, getting your end, really, really concealing hatred by your talk, but, but really your heart is decrepit. Ton of verses on that. Slander and deception. Verse 13 of chapter 11. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps the thing covered. Look at that. The sense of revealing secrets. Why does he say that? Slander revealing secrets. Why is that? Because usually when a person slanders, don't miss this because I think we're all can be guilty of this. The reason why you're, 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 you're giving secrets is because usually slandering happens when you take trusted information from somebody and you distort it to make them look bad. 
right? You think of, you think of, you think of how slander happens. Usually slander happens between friends or information you've heard from someone. And you take things and you kind of, you, you, you almost, you, you have this and you've trusted them. And they go in and they say it in a different way and they add a little bit to it. That's the concept here. It's, it's usually one revealing things that were trusted in a distorted fashion is the point of, of, of uh, revealing secrets. That's his point there. Deception, slander. How about trivial talk? Right? That's evil. What does it look like? He says, it is a snare to say rashly, it is holy and to reflect only after making vows, right? He says in the sense of, you know, saying something flippantly, like it is holy, something's holy, but not really thinking about what you're saying, right? Trivial talk. I mean, can, I, can we get real? When we say things like hell, right? No, we say, you know, we say like what the hell or go to hell or, or damn it or damn right. Like why, why theologically would you say those are trivial speech? Here's why. Because what they're doing, they're taking things that are extremely serious to Jesus, right? People being destroyed forever, right? They're taking those things and holiness, and we're making light of it. And so it's like, it's making light of things that God takes serious. So in essence, it's like, it's like almost a contradiction. If you really believe that hell is hell, you would make fun of it. That's his point. If you really understood, if we really understood holiness, we wouldn't make fun of it. Jesus doesn't, right? If the word holy carries the same weight as the patriarchs, um, right, as Christ, then we should really consider how we use our words. Trivial words matter to Jesus. That's a way that we can be evil, users of our tongue, guys. Now, that's his evil uses. I want to talk about some dangers of the mouth real quick. Here's why this is not smart to have a yuck mouth. Um, first, it destroys yourself, okay? And it talks about this a lot. In verse 7 of uh, chapter 18, it says, A fool's mouth is his ruin. You see that? And his lips are a snare to his soul, right? So it says, actually, it hurts you. If you're operating in a lack of, a fool is a person who just basically doesn't, doesn't act in the auspices of God. They're not, they're not following God's ruling way. They're following their own ruling way. God says you're a fool, right? And he says, he says you think, oh, I'm, 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 I'm on God and I'm free. He's like, you're a fool and you're actually destroying yourself. And you destroy yourself in, some, in, some, in two ways. First, theologically, you're not being fully human because you're not worshiping your creator, which is what you were created to do, Right? But then also, and, and here's where it gets scary, uh, practically, truism, it usually destroys your life. People who are foolish like this usually have a lot of bitterness, with, no matter how much makeup you put on, no matter how much money you make, how, much, how successful you really seem. Usually they're going around and going, man, I have a hole in my heart where you can drive a Mack truck through. Look, it doesn't nourish but harms, guys. You see that? Dangers of the mouth is it doesn't nourish it. It usually just harms. Look, verse 8, chapter 18. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. We talked about to go down to the inner parts of the body. That's the concept there. Why, why, does, he, why does he give us that picture? Because he's showing us like, so you, you're, you're a gossip and you think, man, this is I'm gossiping. But actually, that stuff is coming back to pay back to you because it's deep inside you. It's building root in you. The concept of inner parts of the body is that it's actually in you and changing you, right? It hurts you. 
And it damages the surroundings, guys. Look at this. Verse uh, 7 of, of chapter 26. Look what it says. And it has this, this picture throughout the scriptures that I think is awesome. Like a lame man's leg, which hangs useless, is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Right? So he gives this, he gives this picture um, a couple times. He talks about a drunkard, you know, sticking himself. So basically this picture twofold. First, a fool that has wise words or gets wise words, it's like it's numb to them because it doesn't change them. That's his point, right? It doesn't change them, so it's numb. And in essence, because it doesn't change them, it doesn't affect community. So now you're still a fool, and you're adversely affecting community for decreation, for demonic gain, not gospel-centered gain. You see that? And finally, guys, it says, um, it's our proposal, and we see this all throughout scriptures, an indicator of one's true health. Uh, we see this uh, where Jesus talks a lot about a tree and, and, and good fruit. But he says here in verse 7 of chapter 17, if you notice, fine speech is not becoming to a fool, still less is false speech uh, to a prince. You see that? See what he's saying there? He's saying it, it, it really shows where, where, you, where you truly are. Because you're not going to have a prince, uh, well, in, in their minds, you're not going to have a, a prince speaking false speech, it doesn't even make sense, right? That's his point. His, his point is that it's an indicator of where, of where you really are. And so if you're saying, oh, I really love the Lord, I'm walking with the Lord, I'm, I'm yielding to the Spirit, but man, every fourth thing that comes out of your mouth is kind of derogatory, kind of makes people feel bad, right? If, if, if one of those categories is your theme and is your, is your song, he's saying it doesn't make sense. Like the prince doesn't utter foolish things, he wouldn't call himself a prince. And so he's saying, actually, by what you're saying really shows what you truly are. You got it? Now, that's a lot. That's heavy. There's a lot of verses. I see y'all, y'all white and fast. Some of y'all are like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. It's a lot of stuff, right? Um, it, it begs the question, now what? We've seen good. We've seen evil. You say, I think for me, my natural indication is go, okay, so now what do we do? How do we begin to speak good and not evil? I want to propose, if you're thinking that, then we've missed the whole point of the Proverbs. If you're thinking the goal is, okay, there's good speech, there's bad speech. Now, I don't want to speak bad things. I want to speak good things. Uh, I, want to, I want to shed some light that I don't think that's where the Proverbs are going. And let me, let, me, let me bring that to, to bear with this question. That proposes the act itself. And so the question is, um, what makes an act Christian? The act itself, does that make an act Christian? Absolutely not, right? Isaiah uh, chapter 64, verse 6 says that all of our works are like filthy rags. And so that means, that's why I said you can do all those things as a nice unbeliever and there's still filthy rags in God's eyes because they're still motivated out of self-worship. So God don't care that you're nice. God doesn't really care that you do good things. He doesn't care that you walk old ladies across the street because you're still doing it. And guess what you're doing? You're saying, look how cool I am. You're still perpetuating idol worship. So God, that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't, God's like, are you kidding me? So it can't be about, wow, bad speech, good speech, be good speech person. That's not, that's not what God has called us to. 
is never about the act. It's always, always, always about the motivation. And that's where the gospel comes in. So what makes an act Christian is the motivation, right? And so what happens is you and I, we're walking around, God is gracious. He reveals to us the reality that, man, I should have been destroyed, but by God's grace, he didn't destroy me. In fact, he lavished his gift on me by allowing Jesus to come, being a God man, the second member of the Trinity. He dies for my sin. He rises from the dead to validate that he's God. And he says, if you will come to me and allow me to be your Lord and Savior, you confess that, man, you had it all wrong. You thought you could be your own king, but you cannot. Jesus, will you be my king? He says, then what he does is he regenerates us spiritually. He says, he makes us alive again to Christ. He says, now you had this marred image and what he does is he makes us whole and he gives us an opportunity through the power of the Holy Spirit as we yield to our king and as we now get back on the path of what we were supposed to be about before the fall, that is honoring God and honoring all that he's given us. He says, now you can now have even good speech that presents the gospel. Even our mouth was about pointing to Christ. Our speech is about gospel. That's how we tell the gospel. Not just an articulation of a truncated few laws, God loves us, then sand and recreation. Not just that, but us imaging God to people by how we talk. That's his point. And so that's why he says that in Isaiah 64. You see that? That's why he tells us, your works are filthy rats. So he goes, so there's nothing good? Absolutely. That's why you need a good savior. That's why I have a good Jesus. And then what he does, he says, I've given you life, and now you can actually, your works now are awesome because now you have an opportunity to allow them to point to your king. So if that's true, if the motivation now is kingdom, then your works can be, as it were, white as snow, right? If your issue is about kingdom, your language can honor God and be awesome language, but that's why it was also the reality is if we're not yielding to the spirit and you love Jesus because, you know, we, we, we love Jesus by, by God's grace through faith. He says there's times where you cannot be imaging God well as a believer. And that's why we yield to the spirit. We ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. And then we say, Lord, will you yield me yielding to you? Will you take over and allow what I do and what I say to point to the king? So now you see the issue? It's always motivation, never act. One motivation, self, people pleasing, you name it. Other motivation, kingdom. This one is white, right? It's white as snow. It's clean because of the motivation. Now, if the glory is to Jesus, if he's cleansed us, that now tells us that our mouths um, is always about purity, right? And that purity starts in the heart. See where I'm going? So that means now it's not about behavior modification. If it's about what Jesus has done in us and that through us, as it were, we're talking about the springs, the fountain. See what he does? He makes us new inside so that inside what flows out of us are springs of living water. Now you see when he says that in John. Now you see what he says in chapter 7? That the Holy Spirit will come and out of them will flow springs of living water. Because now we are born again. It's not just behavior modification. It's something God has done in us because he's made us his child. And now we say, oh, now I can't help but to image God and to point people to Jesus. That's his point. So the way we grow, the way we change our speech is not behavior modification. It's God doing something in our hearts. We must consider when you think of that. When you think of our lives, some of us, 
we're naturally grumpy people, right? I want to propose, can we be honest? I want to propose to you, you can't, as a new created Christian, just say, I just don't like to be funny or smile. Because you've been made new now, and out of you flows the joy of Christ. Right? Now, I I get it. Before Jesus, I was already goofy. So this topic is easier for me. I get that. All right? And there's been harder ones that I've been up here talking about. Now, that's the, that's the happy, I can be smiling topic. The mouth topic, I'm actually probably worse than a lot of y'all. Okay? My point in that is that you, there's no excuses now because of the gospel. Because of the gospel of Christ, God says, no, 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 no. See, the Holy Spirit can change your personality. Do you believe that? Because he's made you new. Now, he's going to do it in the rhythm that he's made you. But guys, I'm just saying that out of this, you know, when you think of Ephesians, Ephesians 4, you can write that address down. I love the passage. Uh, he, what he does, he shifts from external fruit to internal root, like we're talking about right now. Right? And he's saying that the issue is not about stop sinning. It's about let God work in you. Right? So here's the question that we need to be asking. It's not, how do I get a better tongue? The question we need to ask is, is my mouth a means of grace? Because here's what's happening. God makes us new, pours his grace in us, and then what we are, we're now grace deposits. We live in a grace bubble. As I've, we've trained, we got the discipleship document, and now we're in a grace bubble, right? We stand in a place of grace, and what God says is now our life, what we do is when we care for people and we love on people, is that we are now grace dispensers, is that what people are basically getting is they're just getting the gospel through us because we received the gospel. So now we just pour grace on people, Right? And so what people should see is through our mouth is they should see evidence of God's grace. See, that's not behavior modification. That's heart change. Because now that gives you a different perspective. See, you notice that, right? The difference between the two, can I propose to you, is that when you have evil speech, in this essence, you have the theme of hopelessness because at some level, evil person doesn't know the gospel or you know the gospel and at that moment, you're not living in light of the gospel. Because when you have hopelessness, that builds anxiety, and anxiety builds jealousy, and then you go through all the fruits of the flesh, okay? And I want to propose at the very same time, when you've experienced that deposit of grace, and you're experiencing that grace in your life, what happens, right, is that's overflowing in you, when you experience grace and you understand, what do you mean by grace? I'm married a favor, a free gift from God. What am I saying? That you realize, man... I was dead in sin, separated from God, without the life of God, one-way ticket to hell. Jesus comes and saves me and makes me new, gives me a whole new life, sets my foot on a rock, makes me a missionary to proclaim him, says I'm a co-heir with Christ and I'm an overcomer in Jesus. Wait a minute. And that, that, that new life has started right now and it's forever and I have it. Okay, oh my goodness, wait a minute. So that means I have hope? That means there is a future, and it's a good future, and Jesus is reigning in that future, and I'm part of that reign. I'm the co-creator, I'm co-heir in that future with Jesus, and he doesn't just say, I'm reigning and you guys are here, but he says, we are reigning together, and I get to reign with him. Doesn't that change your perspective a little bit? Like, how, when you're meditating on that reality, and you're walking in that reality, you're going to be jealous, and you're going to backbite, and you've got to plot and find your way. 
Why do you have to do that when you have hope? You don't. You don't have to do that when you have hope. When your Savior is the King, when He's your friend, when He loves you more than you love yourself. Now you don't have to plot. I don't have, to, I don't have to work my plan to get the right job. I don't have to work my plan to get the right house. I work my plan to get the right friends and the right girl and the right guy. I don't have to do any of that. But now I can live in that grace and now I can be a grace depositor. And now my life can flow from grace. So the question of your mouth is only a moral question without Jesus. Right? Am I avoiding dirty words and all that? That's a question with no hope or purpose. But the Christian question, uh, am I building the faith of others by what I say? Is my mouth a means of grace by what I say? See, that's a question filled with hope, right? Am I, if I'm frightened or anxious and angry about life, yeah, that, that doesn't have hope. What allows me to be a, a poor of grace, guys, um, is understanding that Jesus reigns and now I have true purpose. Consider that as we think about what does it mean for us as a local body to be means of grace in our community. Okay, guys? Consider that reality. And I want you to consider it in light of the gospel, not behavior modification. I'm going to pray for us. Um, hope you're encouraged in the gospel today. Hope you see uh, why Christ means everything to us, even from how we talk, that the Lord reigns there and that he's doing something. It's not like so we can be nicer, but it's so the gospel can be clearer.